right now. Let's petition the Lord. Father, by your name, Jesus, we come before you. We ask you, Lord, to open our understanding. Lord, you had Paul write in the book of Ephesians that the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened. Lord, we need that enlightenment of your Spirit to be able to understand. God, the natural man does not understand the things of God. He can't discern them, but they are given to us by the Spirit. So by your Spirit, Lord, we need spiritual understanding. God, we need you to take the scales off of our eyes, and the dullness out of our ears, and the hardness off of our heart. You said, Lord, that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit speaketh unto the church. Move in this service today that the name of Jesus can be lifted up, honored and glorified throughout all the church, throughout all the world. For you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Lord, I've traveled the world. And everywhere I've lifted you up, you've shown yourself to be God. And salvation and healing and deliverance, God in the changes of hearts and the touchings of lives, you showed yourself to be God. The Lord be mindful of this little group that's gathered here today to worship you. And Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can go ahead and be seated. I appreciate the Lord today. And I want to let you know that we had our first service online with the church in Kenya Tuesday morning at 1030. I preached to them about an hour. And uh, here in this church in August of 2017, the Lord spoke to me. Uh, through one of our pastors in Alabama, that God was going to open the Internet to us and that we were going to start reaching people in other nations and that through this preaching that God would work notable miracles on the Internet and that eventually I would go to these nations and establish churches. So this was the first. It was just audio, but we're working with some people in Arkansas, they sent them some money to get some Bibles, and they was able to get them 20 or 30 Bibles, uh, uh, an amplifier, or a PA head. And now she uh, contacted me the other day. They want us to help us get 50 more Bibles. Uh, they want to get a, uh, well, I, I then forgot what it is, a projector. And I asked them why they needed a projector. She said, well, they've got a laptop. I said, they got internet? She said, yeah, they're wanting to get it set up or to be visual both ways. So uh, I put out a plea to some churches, and I want to raise $1,000 to get these people Bibles and get them a projector and get it to where we can have visual both ways. Because a lot easier to preach to them when you can see them. But. After I got off the phone preaching with them the other day, I told my wife, I said, this, this is a wide open field. I said, these people don't know nothing. They, they, they ain't even been preached to of the common salvation. I said, I felt like a lot of them there didn't even know Jesus, hadn't even, hadn't even been saved. 
And you talking about a wide open field, man, that's one. So we're going to get that money. We're going to get it raised. They was uh, paying $8 a piece for Bibles. And then the man asked him, he said, well, what if we buy 50? He said, I'll give them to you $4 a piece. So they cut the price in half. So we're going we're gonna to get them 50 Bibles. We're going to get them a projector. We're going to get them a microphone. And we're going to get it set up because it's the word of the Lord that came right here in this church in August 2017. The Lord told me this happened. Y'all remember? Those of you here, y'all remember? Sister uh, Patty Harris, our one of our assistant pastors, our pastor in Fort Payne, ministered to me. Uh, that God was going to do this over the internet, and I'm looking forward to them notable miracles. We had a creative miracle in our home prayer meeting yesterday in coming. Uh, a man, uh, he said 90% of his ear was like it was missing. And I told him, I said, well, in uh, 07, I prayed for a woman in India, and we had no video. I don't know if we still got it or not, but she didn't have nothing but a hole in the side of her head. Didn't even have an eardrum, didn't have none of her Workings of her ear, Brother Brian. Nothing, just a hole inside. Didn't even have an earlobe. You know, they wear them scarves over their heads. And when she come up for prayer, I asked her what was wrong through the interpreter. Well, he said, well, she's deaf. I said, well, which ear is she deaf in? And so she pointed up here, and I told her, move that scar. I was with a hole in the side of her head. I says, oh, God. <laughs> I said, in one thing, pray for a deaf ear and cast out a deaf spirit. There's another thing, believe for a creative miracle. And she didn't have, she didn't have nothing. Just had a hole in her head. No eardrum, no, none of her ear. Not even an earlobe, just a hole right there where her ear should have formed. Never did form. But I'm going to tell you something. About three minutes, she was hearing out of a hole in the side of her head. Because when I prayed for her, I felt the spirit. I took a handful of handkerchiefs and put over this ear over here, her good ear. And I started having the interpreter whisper in that hope. She started repeating everything you're saying. So when I prayed for this man last night, I done the same thing. I stepped around behind him, put a handkerchief over his good ear, and I held my hand back where he couldn't see what I was doing to snap my fingers. He said, yeah. Snapped him again. He said, yeah. I said, thank you. I whispered, thank you, Jesus. He said, I heard that whisper. I said, repeat it. Thank you, Jesus. He said, he started repeating everything I said. Everything is said. So God is bearing witness right there, right there, in the, right off the kitchen in a little a little breakfast nook in these people's home. God worked a creative miracle. So God don't limit Himself if we'll quit limiting. If we'll quit limiting God, God told me back last August His people have locked the work into the Spirit of God up in the church. Get it out of the church. Get it outside the walls of the church. That's what we've been doing. And God's moving. God's moving. And we need to expect God to move. We need to step out and believe wherever we're at and let what's in us begin to shine. It ain't a wonder people don't know God. I remember I was praying one time these years ago, back in the 80s, I was praying. And I said, Lord, ain't nobody hungry for God. I was under my tent. I think I was down in South Georgia, somewhere around Fitzgerald or Tifton or down in there. And I was telling the Lord, I'm walking in the tent praying about 2 o'clock morning. I said, ain't nobody hungry for God. The Lord spoke back to me. He said, show them a God to be hungry for. Nobody's showing a God of reality. Nobody's preaching a God of deliverance. And nobody's demonstrating a testimony that make people hungry for God. You show God to be alive and real. 
You bear witness of Him through His miracles and His healings. If there's any hungry people at all, it'll stir it up. People want to know a God of reality. My God, what does it do? To, what good does it do to have all this head knowledge about God? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, when I come to you, I didn't come with great swelling words. I didn't come with enticing words of men's wisdom. But I came to you in demonstration. He said, I came demonstrating. Came putting the Spirit and the power of God in action. Was in a, a, a meeting last Thursday night, a week ago. Sister Deborah was there, Brother Justin was there. I prayed for a woman with a torn rotator cuff. Couldn't even raise her arm up. She couldn't, couldn't get it that high. Laid my hands on that thing and asked God to heal her. Power of God shot through her. Just a couple minutes, she's doing this. Doing this right here. What she says, Deborah. Just like this. Just shouting and praising God. Just doing just like this. Hallelujah. Paul said, I came with demonstration. I came with demonstration in the spirit and power of God that your faith might not stand in the wisdom of men. Got to have a faith to stand in the power of God. We need the power of God. We need the witness of the Holy Ghost. The Lord told us in Acts 1 and 8, He said, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, He said, you shall receive power. And you shall be what? Witnesses unto me. First, right in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, right around where you live. Be a witness there first. He said, then I'll send you to the uttermost part of the earth. He said, I've chosen you to bear witness. The witness of the gospel is the power, it's the miracles. Paul said, by, by the gospel that I preached, he said, the dead are raised. Amen. Paul preached a dead raising gospel. He preached a resurrected Christ. Amen. People got so much knowledge of religion and so much do's and don'ts and junk in them now, they can't preach a simple Christ. Paul said there's people who's come to spoil you and separate you from the simplicity. Christ is simple. He's simple. The gospel's simple. You can make it complicated. He said you can make it complicated. Somebody was debating something the other day, and I don't get caught up in all that stuff, but but, but some was saying uh, about preaching the gospel of, uh, of subjectivity, and somebody was saying preaching the gospel of something else. I said, I don't know. what I said, I've been saved 47 years and studying the Word. I said, I don't have no idea what y'all talking about. See, all this head knowledge. People have brought all this head knowledge in, trying to make people think they know something. Just give me Jesus and Him crucified. Just give me Jesus. Paul said, I saved to know nothing among you. Said Jesus Christ. And him crucified. Amen. I had that vision of Jesus in India in 93. I remember I down praying about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. I had to go preach in a, a town. Uh was up on a mountain. I had to go down in the valley and preach to to some people that uh next night. And what had happened was we made us missionaries. And uh, one of the men had set up a meeting with these pastors down there, and he got sick and couldn't go. And they found out he wasn't coming. About seven, eight pastors come up that mountain. <laughs> Said, y'all need to send somebody down there. Said, we got about maybe three or 4,000 people supposed to be out there tomorrow night. 
and said, we're telling the American missionaries come and going to pray for the sick. I said, if y'all don't come, y'all won't pray for the sick. I said, they'll beat us. That's what he told us. He said, they'll beat us. So everybody got to look at each other and everybody's eyes fell on me. <laughs> said, Brother Meadow, you got faith for miracles. I said, you go down there and preach to them folks. I'm going to tell you, I've been in prayer lines in India. And there'd be four or five of us missionaries praying for somebody. Now, y'all don't believe this or not. And somebody would come up demon-possessed or somebody come up blind or somebody come up deaf. And I heard them down the line said, send them Brother Metter. <laughs> send them down the line. Send them Brother Metter. <laughs> I looked back down the line and said, thanks. <laughs> We're in the time of a visitation. Now, I don't know if y'all know anything about the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts. It's over in uh, Wales in 1904, 1905, but I found this yesterday. And I want to read you a little about it before I get into what I want to talk to you about. And uh, if y'all want this website, I'll give it to you. But uh, it talks about his life and how God visited him when he was a young man. He's only 25 when God visited him with that spirit of prayer over in Wales. But it says, it says here, as this date would dress destiny drew near, God began to reveal himself to this young man in a special way. At the age of 25, he woke up one night and found himself in the presence of God. His fellowship with God was so real, he stated, I found myself with unspeakable joy and awe in the presence of the Almighty God. I was privileged to speak face to face with him as a man speaks face to face with a friend. This deep communion went on for four hours. Then he fell asleep again and was surprised to find the same experience occurred the next night. Again, resulting in an extraordinary fellowship with God that lasted four hours. This continued every night for the next three months. He'd go in that fellowship with God in prayer, and he'd get caught up in that spirit of God. And it's like God would visit him face to face for three or four hours every night. This went on for three months. As God revealed himself in dramatic fashion to this poor Welsh young man, preparing him for the great calling that lay ahead. Evan, by this point, knew God was calling him to ministry and did what seemed to be the logical thing. He entered a preparatory school. God had other plans. While there, Roberts attended a series of small meetings held nearby by famous evangelist Seth Joshua. Then he had already known some deep spiritual experiences in those night visitations, God had something more for him. Says Joshua prayed at the end of one of the services, O God, bend us. Conform us to your will. For some reason, these words shook Evan Roberts to the core and hear his words about the visit happen at that point. I felt a living power pervading my bosom. It took my breath away and my legs trembled exceedingly. The living power became stronger and stronger as each one prayed until I felt it would tear me apart. I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me. My face was bathed in perspirations and tears flowed in streams. I cried out, bend me, bend me. It was God's commanding love which bent me. What a wave of peace flooded my soul. We need God to bend us. We need God to bend us. Amen. We need God to bend us. We're too caught up in life. 
We're too caught up in the things of life. And you know, Jesus warned us in the Word. He said, you get caught up in the things of life. He said, it'll choke the Word. It'll make you unfruitful. And he said, you will bring forth no fruit to perfection or maturity. Did did he not tell us to be careful that we get caught up in the cares of life and do what? Choke the Word. Choke the Word. You can get people to go everywhere and do everything. Except come together and pray and seek the face of God. I mean, well, I talk to people about coming to church. Well, that's too far. People don't want to drive 20 minutes, don't want to drive 30 minutes, don't want to drive an hour. But yet, you get a car to drive an hour and a half to get something good to eat. And spend $60, 75 $100 to do it. But you won't drive 20 minutes to church, put $20 in the offering. You know why? God's not our first priority. The Lord's got to become our first priority. Amen. he got to become our first priority. You do everything your flesh wants to do. You don't matter how bad you inconvenience yourself. You do what that flesh wants to do. But man, when it comes to working on that spirit, man, we'll sidestep what we need to work on that spirit, man. You know why? It's not pleasing. It's not comfortable. The enemy knows if you ever enter into a relationship like this man entered into, they'll better hunt him a hole. <laughs> but they're going to be an act of God. And that act of God over there, and I, I think it's written right here. I read this yesterday, and I gave it to some people yesterday afternoon in our Bible study. It says, This mighty baptism in the Holy Ghost transformed Evan Roberts. Before that time, he intended to be a serious and somewhat gloomy personality, but henceforth radiated tremendous joy. Before this experience, he had been a timid and hesitant speaker, but now he spoke with authority and boldness that could hardly be resisted. Even his health was improved. He had been physically weak, unable to walk but short distances, but now found he could walk for miles without tiring. God's instrument was now fully equipped and ready for service. During a church service, Soon afterwards, Robert saw visions of himself speaking to the young people in his home church in a town called Logor. He tried to get the picture out of his mind, but it kept returning. Finally, he agreed in his heart to go. The vision dissipated, and the room was filled with dazzling light. His parents were puzzled to see their son come home from college, and more puzzled still when he went in and announced he'd come speak to the church without the permission of the pastor. He just walked in and told him, said, I'm going to speak at the church. Well, the pastor invited you. No, but I'm going to go speak at the church. You know why? That's what God told him. That's what God put in his spirit. And was considered going through all wells, preaching and soul winning. The pastor of their home church didn't quite know what to do with Evan. He decided to play it safe and allow young Evan to speak. Only after the main prayer meeting was over 16 people, one little girl decided to stay and hear what he had to say. Roberts wasted no time in getting to the heart of the message. He spoke about a fullness of the Holy Ghost that was available for Christians, but declared that the most uh, they must fulfill four conditions. Confess all sin to God, put away all doubtful habits, obey the Holy Spirit promptly, and confess Christ publicly. His teaching was accompanied with a deep sense of Holy Ghost conviction, and by the end of the night, all 16 young people and adults had confessed Christ. So powerful was this first meeting that Roberts was given a second night to share, and then a third, 
With each passing night, more and more people came by the second week. The church was packed out, and the revival was on. That's what God will do when it's his time to visit. That's what he'll do through prayer. We're in a time of visitation. If we'll wake up and realize that we're in a time of visitation. Y'all hear me? We're in a time of visitation. We're in a time that we are going to see the glory of the latter house that will be greater than that of the former. And I'm fixing to get in what God dealt with me about this week. While Evan Roberts seemed to be God's chosen instrument to spearhead the revival, he was by no means the whole of it. As word of what God was doing in long horse spread, fervent prayer for awakening went forth all over Wales, and those prayers were heard almost instantly. Within weeks, the fires of revival were blazing throughout the nation. The effects were astounding. Churches, which had been only half full, were now unable to hold all the people eagerly coming to find Christ's services that had been formal and lasting an exact designated time, were now hotbeds of prayer, praise, and singing, starting sometimes at 6 in the evening and going on to past midnight. One pastor, when asked about the times of the services, replied, from 6 until midnight. The astonished inquirer said, you mean you have church from 6 p.m. until midnight? No, said the pastor, from 6 a.m. to midnight. Within a couple of months, Wales was a changed nation. Crime was reduced to almost nothing. Often magistrates were given a ceremony a pair of white gloves when they arrived at the courtroom, signifying that there was no cases to try. Hallelujah. Let me, let me, I lost my place here. There was a wave of bankruptcies as taverns were nearly vacant. One man found himself as the only patron in a tavern when a group of young enthusiastic youths from the Bible meetings came past the building singing praises to God. The tavern owner, sickened by his loss of business, growled at them and threw a couple of empty ale pots at the youth of patron. Sickened by such behavior, went out into the street and joined the singing group as they made their way to church where he gave his life to Christ. <laughs> A reporter went to a police station wondering what the police did now that there was no so little crime. He told them, we used to serve two purposes, dealing with crime and controlling the crowds. Now that the revival has come, there is no crime. So we go where the crowds are to the churches. We have several good singing voices among our policemen. So we form three quartets and singing in meetings where we get the chance. <laughs> oh, my God. The Little Valley Police Court had been averaging 700 cases per week six months before the revival. After the revival was full force, the average was two. 700 cases a week down to two. Why? Got to start saving folks. Start changing things. Amen? And it all was birthed by prayer. Prayer's what birthed it. But prayer birthed it because it was God's time. It was God's visitation. From 1904 and 1905 in Wales to 1906 in Azusa Street. Y'all read about the Azusa Street revival? Started with an African-American man blind in one eye, Willie Seymour. They called him, I think, out of Texas to come out there and pastor a church. He got out there to pastor the church and started talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They locked him out of the church. They did. They locked him out of the church. Wouldn't let him preach. He started praying and asking God what to do. And 
The Lord told him, start praying. And him and six other people got in the house and started praying. And the prayer grew. So they were praying five and six and seven hours a day. And then they went and bought an empty livery stable or rented an empty livery stable down on Azusa Street. Car started cleaning it out, started praying. People started coming on their lunch breaks to pray. Next thing you know, revival broke out. Wasn't nobody designated to preach. Wasn't nobody singing. They just come in, started praying, the Spirit to move on somebody. Spirit to move on somebody, and they stand up and said, there's somebody here bound with alcohol. If that person didn't move, they'd go to them and say, you're bound with alcohol. You need God to deliver you. And if they yielded, God set them free. This happened all through the revival, and then people started prophesying, and the Holy Ghost started falling. People go out in trances, and God take them in visions, and they stay out for two and three days. And God, the Spirit of God just started falling and, and saving souls. Spirit of God will move on somebody. They stand up and preach. They stand up and prophesy. People will run to the altars, get convicted. And this went on five, six, seven, eight hours at a time. People go home one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, be back six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, go back to prayer, go back to seeking God. See, we don't know nothing about a working of the Holy Ghost. We don't know nothing about a working of the Spirit of God. And the Lord uh, dealt with my heart the other day. There's three dispensations of the rain. There's the former rain, which was the day of Pentecost, fell on the early church. That dispensation moved on out a couple of hundred years after God poured out the Holy Ghost. And there's dispensation of the rain. That's what we've been in. God told me this revival come in under the dispensation of the rain. The Azusa Street revival come in under the rain. The healing revival in the 40s and 50s come in under the rain. Now God's fixing to take us into the latter rain. Are y'all hearing me? We're in a time of visitation, and God wants our attention. God wants us to acknowledge uh, that He's not going to do something. He is doing something. There ain't going to be a move of God. There is a move of God, and we're fixing to see the glory of the Lord revealed right here. Right here. Y'all hear me? Right here is what's got to be revealed. It's got to be revealed in us. Amen. It's got to be revealed in us. And whether I get these notes or not, I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to take them home, study them. Pray about them. Hallelujah. Our website's down at the bottom. You can go check and see whatever all else we have down there. Here, I'll let y'all separate them. Pass one down, Sister Deborah, if you don't mind. And I think you got yours from yesterday. But this is what the Lord started dealing with me about the glory of the latter house. And I'm just going to I'm going to go in my Bible to Second Chronicles 7. And all, uh, I'm not going to follow these notes, but everything I'm going to talk to you about is probably in these notes. I ain't never preached by notes. I mean, I write this stuff down for y'all to study. And I may cover everything in the notes, but I ain't going to do it in the order that it's in the notes because Spirit don't lead me that way all the time. But I'm going to Second Chronicles, chapter seven. Man, I feel the spirit of the Lord today. Verse one. Now when Solomon had made an end of the prayer of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. 
The priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Now when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, and for His mercy endureth forever. Now I'm going to Haggai, the second chapter. Don't give me a second to get there. I, I've got where I don't even mark scriptures because it don't do me any good to mark scriptures half the time now because Lord always takes me a different direction. You know, you should pray and seek the Lord and Lord give me some scriptures and most time Lord take me that way. Now I don't ever know where God's going to take me. So I just, <laughs> I just quit marking scriptures and figure I'll just turn to Him as the Lord leads me. Anybody feel the presence of the Lord? Anybody feel this working of the Spirit? Man, I feel such a joy of the Holy Ghost. That's all right. I've been feeling good all morning. I come to church this morning shouting. And I told Brother Donald and Sister Deborah, I said, man, I feel good all over more than anywhere else. I just feel such a joy of the Lord. And hey, guys, between Zephaniah and Zechariah, if y'all trying to find it, but in chapter 2, in verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now, we've seen God shake the sea. We've seen God shake the earth. We've seen God shake the dry land. Have we not? But we never seen God shake the heavens. And this is probably ten years back when I was pastoring in Alabama and the Spirit of the Lord moved on me one day and I said, Y'all gonna think I'm crazy. I said, but that's all right. I said, but I saw God and y'all might have been in the service when I spoke this brother. I said, I saw God start doing earthquakes, but I saw him on the moon. Y'all was there? So I did say this. Probably 18 years ago, I said, they're thinking me what I call moonquakes. And I said, when the moon starts quaking, I said, you're talking about something going to mess the tides up. The earth will shift on its axis. It'll mess the tides up. And you're talking about tidal waves and tsunamis. But the Lord spoke in the Gospels, and he said, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So everything that governs them heavens up there, God fixing to shake. He said, I'll shake the sea. I'll shake the earth, I'll shake the dry land, I'll shake the heavens. He said, and I'm fixing to shake all nations, and he said, the desire of me, all nations fixing to desire me. All nations fixing to desire this resurrected Christ, because they're going to see his glory revealed. Had a young man used to work with me in ministry, I don't know where he's at now, but he used to work with me in ministry, and he had a dream. And he come to me uh, a few days later, and he said, Brother Metter, I had a dream about me and you. I said, what? He said, just walking down the streets of Israel. And he said, your shadow was healing the sick in the streets of Israel. He said, your shadow was healing the sick. I said, man, God fixing to reveal himself. <laughs> God fixing to reveal himself. Because I'm going to tell you, when God reveals himself to Israel like this, starts working miracles, Israel going to turn back to the Lord. Israel going to turn back to the Lord. That's God's chosen seed. Whether y'all want to realize it or not, man, you Gentiles. Me and you Gentiles, we ain't of that natural chosen seed. We that chosen seed through Jesus Christ, but we're still Gentiles saved by grace. Amen. That chosen seed over there, that God's chosen from the beginning, and He fights for them. You better know God will fight for Israel. 
They may not know who the Christ is right now. They may be blinded to who the Messiah is. But when they see the glory of God that is now being revealed come forth and God begin to show himself like the God of the Bible, like he did to Moses, like he did to Elijah, like he did to Elisha. Are y'all hearing me? And I've told y'all this spirit of prophecy that was in Moses is coming. This spirit of Elijah is coming. He said in Malachi, just before that great and terrible day of the Lord come, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. He ain't going to send the man Elijah, but he's going to send the spirit of Elijah. And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now, the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Uh, we are in a generation gap. Uh, the youth are divided from the elders, and the elders are divided from the youth. Uh, and there's got to be a restoring uh, of the family. There's got to be a restoring of God uh, back to the home. The home's got to be restored. Uh, because if the home ain't restored, the church can't be restored. Can't do it. What makes up the church? Families. What has the government done for the last 40 to 50 years? Destroyed the home. Divided the home. Give women the money and everything to walk away from their husbands and still support them, support their family. Let me tell you something. God made a home, a husband, and a wife and children. He didn't make it a wife to raise the children, a husband to raise the children without one another. It's the enemy that's tried to destroy the home. When you destroy the home, you destroy the church. When you destroy the church, you destroy the nation. Why are we in the mess we're in? The church has nearly been destroyed. Why we got people that are, are willing to shout and holler and scream about aborting a baby one day before its birth or aborting a baby after it's been born and laid out on a table if the mother decides to kill it because the power of the church has been destroyed. The moving of the Spirit of God has been destroyed. The anointing to cry out against sin has been destroyed. And it's time to get back to God. It's time for the Spirit of Elijah. He said the Spirit of Elijah must first come and restore all things. There's got to be a restoring of a foundation. There's got to be a restoring to get sin out of the church, sin out of the home, sin out of our lives. There's got to be a restoring uh, of the spirit of Elijah. He said, just before that great and terrible day of the Lord come, uh, I will send you uh, Elijah the prophet, uh, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Got to be a turning around. Got to be a turning around. Somebody got to raise their voice and cry out. I've never seen so much garbage going on. Every time you turn around, somebody getting upset what's going on in the church, running out and starting a church. Their house is out of order. Their life's out of order. There's no dedication. There's code consecration. And they pull people out of an established church. I get them out there and all they want to do is shout, talk in tongues and praise God. I, all they want to do is have what we call good church. I, they ain't equipped a pastor. I, they ain't called a pastor. Their life's unclean. I, and when they preach, they spread uncleanness. They spread chaos. I, they spread confusion. I, that's why things in the mess they end. I, may the God of glory and the King of Israel... I, raise a standard and fight for the faith uh, that was once delivered to the saints. Uh, it's time for this common salvation uh, to be declared. Uh, and it's time that you earnestly contend uh, for the faith that was once uh, delivered to the saints. Uh, anybody with me today? Uh, are we going to fight for this faith? Uh, are we going to fight for this kingdom? Uh, the kingdom of heaven suffer violence uh, and the violence uh, take it before Nobody's fighting. Somebody posted something the other day. Yeah, I got a Facebook account. I got three of them. (laughs) 
I got my personal page, I got my World Revivals page, and I got my Man Sent from God page. And New Testament Church at LJ, and Word of Faith Church at Fort Payne. Somebody posted the other day, said, how many of y'all would like to see prayer back in school? I commented, I said, I'd rather see prayer back in home. You get prayer back in the home, you get prayer back in school. You get prayer back in the home, you get prayer back in the church. You get prayer back in the home, you get a move of God back in the church. Why? Serving God starts at home. You don't, you don't come here to serve God. You come here to worship God. You serve God in your home. People ain't serving God in their home. They're going out of church. Time they walk out of church, it's like they flip a switch. They forget all about God the next Sunday or next Wednesday night. Go home, lay their Bibles down on the tables, never pick them up all week. Never pick them up because most people won't even go to Wednesday night service anymore. That's why they call it the weeknight service, W-E-A-K. It's the week, it's, they say it's the weakest service of the whole week. You know why people don't care about coming? It inconveniences them. Lord told me back in August of 2017, go on YouTube and get it. August 18, 2017, Spirit Lord come on in. I prophesied for nearly 30 minutes. First thing we ever put on YouTube right there in my living room. Lord told me, he spoke the word of the Lord to me. My wife got there. I said, set up the camera. I'm fixing to speak the word of the Lord. She set up the camera. The Spirit of the Lord started praying. I said, I'm going to let you know when the Spirit of the Lord comes on me and I'm fixing to prophesy. Spirit of the Lord come on me. I started praying. I done like that. She turned the camera on. I prophesied the word of the Lord for about probably close to 30 minutes. And the Lord said, you need to change the way you worship. He said, coming to my house two or three hours a couple of times a week. He said, it's not enough. He said, you come in when it's convenient to you. And he said, you try to demand my spirit to move in the two, three hours you allot me. You don't treat God like that. You don't treat God like that. God knows we got responsibilities. But I'm going to tell you something. When I was growing up, we went to church. We didn't get home one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. We had church. Y'all pardon my phrase. We had church. We worshiped God. We believed God. My mama was growing up. She used to go to what they call Brush Arbor meetings in a horse-drawn wagon. My great-granddaddy, she used to go hear my great-granddaddy preach. He was a circuit rider Methodist preacher. But she said, I'm going to tell you something. Back in them days in a brush arbor, he said, Methodist talking tongues. He said, I've seen the power of God hit the women. Back then, the women had long hair. They'd roll their hair up and put what they call rats in them, you know, big hair clips. And, and said the Spirit of God had hit them. And said they would shout. And said they'd shout them rats at and the power of God hit them. And said they'd pop their hair like a whip. Said you could hear them just like a bull whip. When the Spirit of God hit them, they would jerk and, and their hair would, their hair would pop. He said when they went to prayer, he said women be on one side of the brush arbor and men on the other. The power of God would fall. The preacher come out and preach. They'd shout and praise God, sing, honor God. He said and then they'd give an altar call, said one thirty two o'clock in the morning. She said, I've been picked up off a blanket and dumped in the back of a horse-drawn wagon many a times to make the run home, get home two thirty three o'clock in the morning. She said, my daddy get up at sunup and go out to work. People don't have that desire now. Oh, I can't come to church. My kids got to go to school. Your kids going to stay up 10, 30, 11, 11, 30, 12 o'clock anyhow. You might as well get them in the house of God. Oh, I got to get my rest. I said, you're going to be up to midnight. What is it? Flesh. Flesh. Too caught up in the things of life. Don't want to suffer. Don't want to sacrifice. Don't want to put yourself under. Don't want to deny yourself. What's the first thing Jesus said? Deny yourself.
deny yourself. Take up your cross. What was he talking about? He said, I died out to everything in the natural. I died out to everything. He said, I didn't have family. I didn't have wife. didn't have kids. didn't have no friends. Deny yourself and take up your cross. He said, I took up my cross. I totally died out. Did he not say that if you find your life in this world, you'll lose your life in the Spirit? He said, but if you lose your life in this world, you're going to find life in the Spirit. We found life in this world, but we've lost our relationship with God. We lost our walk with God. But the Lord started dealing with me. This scripture that I read here in Second Chronicles, when, when Solomon dedicated the temple, put the sacrifice on the altar, the glory of the Lord come down. The glory of the Lord come down in a fire, and it consumed the sacrifice. The Spirit of God was so strong, the people could not even stand in the presence of God. The priest couldn't stand. Drove them out of the temple. Drove them out of the temple. And when that happened, the people fell on their faces out there outside the temple and praised and magnified and glorified God. But the priest couldn't enter the temple. That's a glory. That's a power. That's an authority. That's a dominion. Well, when they started building the second temple in the days of Haggai, he prophesied to Zechariah and said, The glory of God that was in the first house ain't nothing to be compared with the glory of God's fixing to be revealed in the latter house. Because they were building the temple back. Spirit of the Lord, come on, hey guy. And he prophesied the glory of this latter house is going to be what? Greater than that of the former. There's nowhere in history, there's nowhere in history that there was a greater, greater glory ever come in the natural temple than what happened in Solomon's day. And Haggai didn't know it, but he wasn't prophesying about the natural temple. He's prophesying about this temple. He's prophesying about this temple. Was there a glory come down on the day of Pentecost? Was there a power come in on the day of Pentecost? Did God gift them? Did God anoint them? Did God send them out to preach His Word? Did God send them out to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils? Did He not? There was a glory revealed. There was a glory revealed. But now I'm telling you the glory of the latter house. The glory of the latter house shall be greater. What God is now wanting to do in us shall be greater than what happened on the day of Pentecost. You can't get people to understand this. You can't get people to see that the glory that God is bringing forth. Why did Paul say in Romans the 8th chapter that the sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us? The sufferings of this present time. Did he not say it? Did he not say the sufferings of this present time? Well, Paul come in about 15 years after Pentecost. Paul preached uh, probably 40 years in there. Probably 10 or 15 years after the day of Pentecost, Paul come in. Paul persecuted the church, scattered the church. And when he scattered the church, they went everywhere preaching Jesus. Are y'all following with me? But there was a never a glory given that was greater than the day of Pentecost, and there was a never a glory on a natural temple greater than what Solomon uh, happened. That means there's got to be a glory of God revealed in the day we're living in that is going to bring back the fullness of the Spirit of God. There's got to be a glory revealed. Have you ever heard anybody preach on the glory of the latter house? Shall be greater than that of the former. Anybody ever heard it preached? 
Okay, you've heard it preached. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? Huh? It's coming forth. But do we believe it's coming forth? Do we believe when it's coming forth? Do you believe if I'm telling you today that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former and God's bringing it forth now? Are we seeking for it? Do we desire it? If God's telling us that the glory that He's revealing was greater than the glory that fell at Pentecost, what are we expecting to happen? Man, Pentecost was powerful. <laughs> Pentecost was powerful. As Peter grew in God, he walked down the street and he shouted, he sick. Peter raised the dead. Paul raised the dead. There's others raised the dead. Peter had so many miracles just to shadow healing the sick. Multitudes come from everywhere. We don't even have what the early church had. We don't even have what I just read to y'all, how that revival broke out with Evan Roberts, how it broke out in Azusa Street. We don't even have that. There was great men like Smith Wigglesworth. Had great revivals, great deliverance. John G. Lake was a missionary to Africa. He was over there when the Ebola virus broke out and started killing thousands, even killed some of his own missionary team. And then he started praying for them people and they started getting healed. And they sent reporters and scientists over there. Said, how you doing this? How you praying for these people they getting healed? It's documented. You can look it up on YouTube. You can look it up on Google. Look it, look it up. Look up John G. Lake and the Ebola virus. They took him in a laboratory, put his hand under a microscope, and dropped the Ebola virus in his hand. And when it hit his hand, it started dying. He was so anointed that Ebola virus started dying time it hit the palm of his hand. He'd go lay hands on him people. And God started drying that thing up. John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth. Maria Woodworth Edder, one of the greatest women God ever used. Had divine miracles. Draw crowds into the hundreds and into the thousands. Billy Sunday was a man. Everywhere he went and preached, he built a, uh, he built a big tabernacle and founded a church. Everywhere he went and preached, stayed there for months and have revivals, pack, pack things out. He was a professional baseball player and God called him to preach and he left baseball, took his money and started building churches everywhere he went and preached. We've seen some moves of God, but we've not seen the glory of the latter house. We've not seen the glory that God wants to bring forth, but what we need to understand is now. God's wanting to bring this forth. God's wanting to bring this forth and people are stuck in religion. People are stuck in religion and you can't get them out. You can't get them to believe. You can't get them to, to, to move forward anything, in anything. In Second Peter, the first chapter, Peter wrote, said, uh, I believe it's the fourth verse. He said, according to these exceedingly great and precious promises, God's told us we can be made partakers of the divine nature. Not up there, down here. Is anybody following me today? It ain't up there God's going to reveal His glory. You ain't going to have no glory revealed in you in heaven. All the glory up there is going to belong to the Lamb. So if the glory up there is going to belong to the Lamb, then where's the glory going to be revealed? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be what? Revealed in us. Revealed in us. 
In that uh Second Peter, the first chapter, third verse, according to his divine power, hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. He's called us to glory and virtue. He's called us to have power. Do you not remember reading how that Jesus walked the streets and there was people that he, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, all these people was throwing him, all these people was touching him. All of a sudden, Jesus just stopped. He looked at Peter and said, Peter, somebody touch me. I can just see Peter look over at John James and said, what did he just say? He said, somebody touched him, Peter. He said, my God, everybody's touching him. What do you mean? Somebody just touched him. Peter, somebody touched me. He said, Jesus. He said, everybody's touching you. He said, no, you don't understand, Peter. Somebody touched God. Somebody's faith moved God. Somebody's faith touched the throne of God. He said, for virtue, power went out of me. He said, I felt that miracle when it left me. Somebody touch me, Peter. Somebody touch me. Somebody touch me. I had a, a vision several years ago. And y'all was in Fort Payne. I told it in Fort Payne. I was walking, and there was like a, a, a light green glow come over me. as almost like a, a aura in a big in, in 15 feet around me. It's like this thing surrounded me. And everybody I come by that got inside that that sphere, they either got saved, healed, or delivered. It was just a glory of God that, that overshadowed me. Y'all, you remember me telling that, Sister Denver? And we're, that's what we're coming to. The glory of the Lord. The glory of the latter house. The glory of the latter house. Why? God's not, God's not going to repeat what He done on Pentecost. Is He going to give us back what He done? Yeah, that was the foundation. That's got to be restored. The wisdom, the knowledge, the power, the government that he put in the church on the day of Pentecost, that was the foundation of the church. That's got to be restored. That's the reason he he, he spoke in Joel 2.25. He said, I'll restore to you the years. I'll restore to you the years. He said, I'll restore to you the years that the, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palm worm, the locust, all that. He said, everything's been eaten up from you. Everything's been taken away from you. I'll restore it to you. And the Lord told me every one of them things was the doctrines and traditions of men. The caterpillar, the canker worm, the palm worm, the locust said those are doctrines and traditions of man that has drained the power and the working of the Spirit away from my people. People don't have nothing now. They don't have nothing now. Church don't have nothing. You can say amen or old me, but church is about powerless as a whole. I mean, you're going to find a pocket here and there. You're going to find a brother matter here and there. <laughs> You're going to find somebody that believes here and there. You're going to find somebody that still has miracles, still has healings. And when God healed that man in them people's kitchen last night, buddy, I shouted. And I looked at that woman. I said, God, just done a creative miracle in your breakfast nook. My God. He said he confirmed the word with what? Signs following. Everywhere I take this word, God confirms the word with signs following. Like I went in that new place Thursday night a week ago. God healed that woman, that torn rotator cuff. What was it? Was it Brother Metter? No, Brother Metter can't do that. But it's a gift God put in me. It's that anointing God put in me. Confirms the word. Confirms the word. With signs following. Confirms the word. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former. Why? The Lord's beginning to restore the years. 
He said in Joel 2.25, let me read it to you. Not sure just where it is in the notes. I think it may be over on page 3. But Joel, yeah, Joel 2.25 and 2.26, and I will restore to you the years. That's what the locust has eaten, the cankworm, the caterpillar, the palm worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that had dealt wonders with you and my people should never be ashamed. People that believe like us right now, they're ashamed. You know why? God ain't manifested himself. People talk about the glory of God. They talk about the power of God. They'll sing about it, shout about it. They'll tell you what God's done. They'll tell you what God's going to do. But there's no witness right now in people's lives of the reality of God. Ask my son. He went to Uganda and preached. He talked to Catholics, Muslims, Christians, sinners. And everybody he talked to over there, he said, you ready to receive Jesus? No. Well, why not? You give me a sign. You show me something. You show me a witness that your God's greater than my God. I mean, he had a, he had a Catholic tell him, man. He talked to her for 20 minutes, thought she was going to receive Jesus. She said, no, I'm happy being a Catholic. One told him, I'm happy being a Muslim. He said, but why? He said, because I don't see nothing in Christians' lives that's a witness that their God's any greater than my God. You know why? People people empty. They got a knowledge of God. They got a knowledge of God. They got a knowledge of who God is. But they don't have any witness. They don't have any testimony. Do y'all know what the testimony of Jesus is? You know what the testimony of Jesus is? How many times have I preached it to y'all? Testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy. According to Revelations 19, 11, 10, right up here on this hill, about a half, three-quarter of a mile up the road, March the 8th, 2017, 3.30 in the morning, voice of the Lord stepped in my trailer, boomed, audible, woke me up, said the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Y'all got these notes? You evidently you ain't read them, you ain't studying, you ain't retaining, you ain't doing something. Because it's all written in the spirit of prophecy. 8th of March, 2017, the Lord spoke to me. 11th of March, the Lord spoke to me and said, The word of the Lord shall now roar. March 22nd, right here on my knees, praying right here. The Lord took me out in a vision. I saw just a like a country pasture. Early in the morning, sun just coming up behind the trees. Things split, and a man stepped out and began to prophesy the word of the Lord with authority and power. The Lord spoke to me and said this, The word of the Lord shall step on the scene suddenly, the spirit of Elijah. The spirit of Elijah. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet just before the great and terrible day of the Lord coming. Whether y'all realize it or not, we further in this Bible than you think we are. We further in the wrapping of things up than what you think we are. We further in the move of God than what the world thinks we are. People don't believe Jesus is preparing to come. People don't believe the end of the world's upon them. Christians don't even believe it. They'll tell you they do, but they don't. If they did, they'd live different. If they did, they'd live different. But the Lord said in His Word right there, He said, I will restore to you the years. Amen. You go from there to Acts chapter 3. You start at verse 19. And Peter's preaching said, Repent ye therefore and be converted. People are repenting, but they ain't, they ain't no conversion. 
The word repent means to turn from. If y'all listen to the broadcast today, buddy, I got down on it. Because I preached the broadcast at about 3.34 o'clock Friday morning in my office. And I said, all these people going down and, and reciting these, what y'all call sinners' prayers. I said, that ain't bringing salvation. The Bible said godly repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And when godly sorrow smites your heart, when the Holy Ghost smites your heart and convicts you, then you'll repent. Godly sorrow is what it takes to work repentance. You don't walk down in front of a church, shake the pastor's hand, tell him you received Jesus, and then set up an appointment to get baptized. That ain't godly sorrow. Back then I was preaching on the evangelistic field. I said, if y'all can go down in front of the church, shake the preacher's hand, sign a piece of paper, said you're a member of the church. I said, you can go down to the barn, sign the barn door, and shake a donkey's tail and become a donkey. If that's what it takes to be a Christian, you can do the same thing, be a donkey. Only I use the word jackass. <laughs> I, I was a little bolder back then. <laughs> I tried to be a little more diplomatic now. But time, sometimes the other... Just more attention. That's <laughs> what the edit button's for. <laughs> but that just went out on live stream. <laughs> That's all right. Don't worry about it. It's like I looked at a brother last night, and we were sitting there after the Bible study about 8 o'clock last night, and he had, he had smoked some ribs and brought them for us to eat because we started Bible study at 4 o'clock. We finished up about 7.30. And so they fixed us a bite to eat, and we're sitting there eating, we're talking, and I don't know, I said something, and he just kind of grinned. I looked at him, I said, brother, I said, I am what I am. <laughs> I'm like, Paul, I just am what I am by the grace of God. My wife keeps telling me all the time I don't have enough diplomacy. I said, Paul made the statement. He said, I might be rude in speech. He said, I'm not rude in knowledge. He said, but I might be a little rude in speech. There ain't nothing wrong with my knowledge of God, my knowledge of the kingdom and the revelation of the word. And I might get a little short in my speech, Brother Bryce. <laughs> yes, yeah, the way a lot of people don't like either. <laughs> but anyway, let me get back to this. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing, and that word times means years. This is in Acts 3.19, shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times or the years of the restitution of all things. Peter said, until the times or the years of the restitution of all things. Joel said, I'll restore to you the years, saying the same thing. Saying the same thing. Y'all see that? Saying the same thing. So, there's... God has started a restitution. He started a restoring of the kingdom which was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Foundation's got to be laid. Administration's got to be brought back in. You're not going to have a church like the book of Acts unless God brings back in holy apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You're going to see men like Peter, men like Paul, men like James and John. You're going to see prophets like Elijah and Elisha, Moses, Joshua. You're going to see these prophets. Why? You gotta have it to set God's church in order. You gotta have it to restore government. You gotta have it. Too many people run around here loose cannons. Too many people run around here out of order. Starting churches in their lives ain't clean. 
let me tell you something. Y'all want church hop? Y'all want all these little churches people start? And, and I'm not against house churches. A lot of churches in the New Testament were in homes, but they were by dedicated men and women of God. They wasn't by somebody rebellious. They wasn't by somebody that didn't want to sit under government. And that's what you got there. You got people don't want to sit under government. Let me tell you something. You listen to somebody preach your word, that's one thing. People start ministering, laying hands on people, and you let somebody lay hands on you, it's full of confusion, full of division, full of wrong doctrine. They can impart the wrong spirit to you. That's the reason you don't need these spirits. That's the reason you don't need to be church hopping and going places that you don't know the vessel. Bible tells us, know them that labor among us. Amen. Reading the Bible tells us, lay hands suddenly on no man. Well, don't you let nobody lay, suddenly lay hands on you and you don't know their life. Somebody, I've had somebody, I've had people come to me, well, so-and-so prophesied the word of the Lord to me. I said, is their life proven? Do me a favor. Do not call me a man of God. You can call me a servant of the Lord. You can call me a vessel of God. Don't you call me a man. I hate that because up here in this area, everybody that totes the Bible, well, man of God, woman of God. You're a man or woman of God when God has proved your life, put you through the fire, tried you, tested you, and became God to you, and God has held up your word like he did Samuel. Said, don't let it fall to the ground. When you've done that, when you've served God for several years, when the Lord has held your word up and spoken to you, and the things you have prophesied and ministered have come to pass, then you call me a man of God. You hear me? I can't stand this mess. They think everything totes the Bible or, or speaks or preaches or prophesies something as a man or woman of God. It's religious junk. And it's got people in trouble. Because I know people right now ain't got no business preaching, ain't got no business pastoring. And I'm telling you, you got to fix and deal with it. Because it's one thing you want to do something, it's another thing you start messing lives up and you want no blood on your hands. There's a lot of people got blood on their hands right now. And I will not be a party to it. You said, brother, I've had people, well, won't you come preach? Won't you come preach for us? Won't you go preach here? Why? Because it's junk, it's garbage, it's full of uncleanness, and I'm not stepping into a minister's pulpit that's unclean in his dedication and his relationship before God and preaching to people that he's sown uncleanness in because I can preach, God can move, God can work miracles, God can do great deliverance, and when I step out of the pulpit, he's going to step right back in with garbage. I'm not wasting my time. I'm not wasting my time. I'm praying for God to raise up ministers. God's to raise up handmaidens and servants. That's why you're sitting under this word, for God to prepare you to minister to people and help people. You ain't sitting under this word to have a southern gospel singing. You ain't sitting under this word just so you can leave here and feel good. Go out the door and say, Whoa, God, we had church. People do that, and they, they get caught up in emotion. They get caught up in crying, and, and and you praise God enough, the Lord's gonna come down and inhabit the praises of His people. That's His word, is it not? That's His word. You will feel the Spirit of God. You cry and emotion and drama, and, and people walk out the door. We are church. Ain't nothing changed. Ain't nothing changed. Nobody's life. Nothing has changed. You been in them? Seen them? Anything change? People's lives change, conviction change, habits change, dedication to the Lord change. You may know what I'm talking about. 
Very few times anything ever changes. People talk about having revival. Revival, the word, the base of the word revival means to revive. How many people you know come out of revival revived? Not many. Say, Brother Metter, why are you saying all this? I'm tired of religious garbage. People are dying for the reality of God. They're dying. I've never seen the sickness and disease that's in God's people's lives. I've never seen the chaos and confusion. The people don't know what to believe anymore. It's just like they're going around in darkness and around in circles. What did Isaiah speak? Darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness of people. The, the, the definition of darkness is spiritual ignorance. People are spiritually ignorant. Worse than I've ever seen in my life. And they're not searching for anything. They're just going to church, having a good time, going home. Most of them plopping down in front of the television, filling their mind with lust, adultery, fornication, lying, cheating, stealing. Turn the radio on instead of listening to somebody preach the Word. I'm not against singing if it's anointed. You hear me? If singing's anointed, I'm all for it to have a place. Well, instead of God's people turning on something, even even something that pertains to God, they'll turn the radio on. Next thing you know, you hear, there's a tear in my beard because I'm crying over you. That's what people put in their minds. That's what they put in their spirits. They put all this mess in their spirits. They watch adultery, fornication, nudity, cursing, uncleanness. And then they won't go to church and worship a holy God or stand in the pulpit and preach. It's wrong. And God, I'm telling you, God's dealing with it. God's dealing with it. He will clean His sanctuary. He said, he said in Peter, He said, the time has now come to judgment. Where's He going to begin? House of God. Who's He going to start with? Ministry. Going to start with ministers first. In Ezekiel 9, when when Ezekiel, I believe it was nine, could be eight, when Ezekiel saw that vision of the seven men, six were clothed in sackcloth, the seven clothed in linen with the rider's ink horn. The Lord said, go through the congregation. He said, mark everybody that's sighing and crying and praying, crying out about the abominations in Israel. And he said, where did you tell him to start? Start in my house. Begin with a ministry. Begin with a ministry. Amen. That way he told me to begin with the ministry. And once he was finished, the man said, it's finished. The Lord looked at the other six men. They had the strong weapons in their hand. He said, go through my courts, go through my house, go through the streets. And he said, everybody ain't marked. Everybody ain't got that mark on their head because they're crying and sighing and praying because of the abominations. It's in the, he said, kill them. Is that what God said? You said, God, don't do things like that. Let me tell you something. Go back and read the Old Testament. Go back and read about some of the battles in the Old Testament. I just read about one battle in the Old Testament, and I can't remember who it was, but I think it was Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and another king come to battle. Half a million men got killed in that one battle. Every time you turn around, it's 20, 40, 50, 60,000 people get slain on the battlefield. When Korah and them stood up against Moses and Aaron in number 16, God killed Korah, he killed Datham, Abram, their wives, their children, their cattle, killed everything that pertained to them, turned around, and, and fire proceedeth out of God, and killed the 250 men that stood up with Moses and Aaron against Korah. 
And then the people come to Moses and Aaron. They got scared that day. But they come back the next day, walked up to Moses and Aaron and said, What'd you kill God's people for? Moses fell on his face, started crying out to God, stood up and told Aaron, he said, Go get you a censer, put fire in it, run into the camp, and stab between the dead and the living. So the plague started. He ran in the camp, stood between the dead and the living. By that time, God done killed 14,000. 700, I think it's 750 people. So in those two days, God killed over 15,000 people because they stood up against his word. Don't tell me God won't. See, the world's never seen a God like this. They fix to see a God of wrath. They're going to see a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of compassion, but they're going to see a God of wrath too. Because the word of the Lord that the Lord showed me is coming, the spirit of prophecy that's going to fall on our sons and daughters, they're going to speak these things. Y'all better get ready. I'm telling you, you better get ready for it. Because I'm going to tell you something. You've got a generation right now, they don't fear God, they don't reverence God, they don't care about God. They don't even, a lot of them don't even believe God exists. You let somebody stand up. You let one of your sons and daughters get this spirit poured out on them. Not this little spirit of prophecy that run around and put their hand on your head. Yeah, you're the apple of the Lord's eye. The Lord loves you. Yeah, I would say you're the apple of my eye. But they stand up and speak because you've rejected my word, saith the Lord. I'm going to hit this city with an earthquake. I'm going to hit this state. I'm going to hit this town. And God turned around and killed 15, 20, 30,000 people. You say, ain't going to happen, Brother Matter. Hide and watch. Hide and watch. Go back and read your notes on the spirit of prophecy. Go back and read what God's been speaking to me since March of 2017 when he spoke to me up here, said the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. What God's going to pour out in these last days ain't what he poured out on the day of Pentecost. Y'all hear me? It's going to be the spirit of Moses. It's going to be the spirit of Elijah. Because what did he say was going to happen when he poured it out on our sons and daughters? They're going to prophesy. He said, the old men going to dream dreams. The young men going to have visions. What did he tell Moses was the sign of a prophet? There's a prophet among y'all. Speak to him dreams and visions. Prophecy of Joel. Young men going to have visions. Old men going to dream dreams. Head and maiden servants going to prophesy. Going to be signs in heaven above, wonders in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. You think them things just going to happen? No, our sons and daughters going to prophesy. They're going to speak them. They're going to turn cities upside down. Did they not say in the book of Acts that these men that have turned the world upside down have come to our cities also? That's what we fix and see, children. We fix the act of God. God's going to get folks' attention. God's going to get folks' attention. I remember in 2000, and uh, I, I can't remember where there was three or four. When that big tsunami hit that killed that 250,000 people, wasn't it in December of 04? But in November, Sister Kilpatrick was at my church. In November of 2003, late in November, the Spirit of the Lord come on me. And I sit back in the congregation. I think somebody else testifying or something. The Spirit of the Lord come on me and I started screaming. I said, earthquakes in the ocean, earthquakes in the ocean, tidal waves, tsunamis like the world ain't never seen. And somewhere in the early part of December, just two or three weeks later, that tsunami hit and killed. Just in India alone, it killed nearly 200,000 people. And I think total... They never did get the total, but it was 250,000, 300,000. You ain't never had a tsunami do that. Look how many nations that thing touched. And that's a drop in bucket compared to what God's getting ready to do. Why? He's going to get this world's attention. Before this thing's over with, people will know that he's God. 
The Lord told me to speak, and y'all, y'all watch what I'm telling you. We're going to see things like this. You know what they started saying after that tsunami? All religions, even the Muslims said, that was the hand of God. That was the hand of God. That was the hand of God. Maybe these things start happening, they're going to say, that's the hand of God. That's the hand of God. This is going to be like plagues in the Bible days. You're going to hear them saying, this is the hand of God. This is the hand of God. It's the hand of God. Why? Because it is going to be the hand of God. But God's brought us into that restoring. We've got to have government brought back. Brother Brian, you've been around construction. Foundation's got to be right. Foundation's got to be right. You don't build a building on a bad foundation or a weak foundation or a deteriorating foundation. You do your whole building to collapse. We just had God move for us at our church in Fort Payne. We put a new addition on the church, started back in 2011. We probably, over a period of four or five years, the donations we got, and we probably put $7,500,000. We doubled the size of the church over there. And then back in the fall, the pastor called me and said, Brother Metter, he said, the floor and the new part's dropping. I said, what? He said, I crawled under, and he said, the floor joists deteriorate. I said, we use fresher treated lumber. He said, don't matter. He said, it looks like we're going to have to spend into the thousands. I said, we ain't doing it. I said, God's going to move. So Friday, he had a man from South Alabama come up. And two men out of the community, Brother Donald, one of church members, showed up to help him. And those three men in him went in there and for $500 completely replaced all those floor joists and blocked them up. And then he had a guy tell him, he said, you go down there, you get your hammer, and you go around that block wall because it's about four courses a block high on one end goes down to two on the other. He said, you knock some in block out. He said, you get you some vents and put in there. He said, you ain't got no air circulation on that floor. And he said, that moisture's setting up. He said, I don't care how much plastic you put out, how many fans you put in there. He said, if you don't put some vents in that foundation, he said, it'll rot out again in two or three years. I said, we put vents in that foundation. I know we did. We had them out there. I got them from the put bins and that. He said, well, evidently they didn't do it. So somebody's slothfulness, somebody's laziness and uncaring could have cost us in the thousands. But God stood up for us. But we had to get the foundation right first. I mean, the whole floor was dropping. When we went over and looked at it, and he showed me the wall separated from the floor three or four inches, fixing to collapse. Got an upstairs on it where we're going to build an apartment for evangelists to stay in. And now the whole thing was fixing to collapse. And they went back in there and shored up the foundation. Foundation's strong now. God got to put his foundation back in order. And he's putting his foundation back in order. He's putting the administration back in order, putting the gifts back in order. I told y'all, and I'm fixing the close, but I told y'all back in August of last year, the Lord began to deal with me. That when he poured the Holy Ghost out on the day of Pentecost, he didn't pour it out on the lay body of the church. That 120, 120 in that upper room was not the lay members of the church. That was ministry. He gave them gifts, gave them anointings. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. For God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary to prophets, thirdly teachers. At this miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. I said, he said, all those were ministries. 
He said, I put these gifts in them, put these anointings in them, put these offices in them. Because by the time Peter got through preaching in that day, they had 3,000 they had to minister to. That was the lay body of the church. What happened on the day of Pentecost was ministry. Y'all hear me? It's ministry. The Lord told me, he said, what Paul preached in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts, about the ministry gifts, about the gifts of the Spirit, about the helps in government. He said, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. But what do you hear to people teach and preach about the day of Pentecost? What do, you, what do you hear people teach about the Holy Ghost? Evidence, tongues, that's it. It ain't gifts, it ain't administrations, it ain't anointings. It's tongues. Y'all believe when Jesus got baptized, he got filled with the Holy Ghost? Y'all believe that? Is that what the Scripture says? John said, Spirit come down and set on him in the form of a dove. And he said, Lord told him, said, Whom you see the Spirit descend on and remain. It is he that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Is that what the Word said? Where's his evidence of speaking in tongues? <laughs> no, the Spirit of the Lord said on him. Read Isaiah 11. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of knowledge, spirit of power, spirit of counsel, spirit of might. Oh, that's what's set down on him. That's what the Holy Ghost brings. It brings ability. It brings offices. It brings administration. It brings government. Amen. We want God to bring us back, or we won't keep on going in religious junk. I want God to bring me back. But you need to study these notes. You need to wake yourself up, because we are in the time of the visitation. God ain't going to do anything. God is doing it. God is doing it. Amen. God is doing it. And I've got all this stuff written in these notes. I hope it would be a blessing to you, because it's where the Lord started speaking to me. But the Lord is restoring. It's been about two weeks ago, maybe, uh, that the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm restoring to you the years. He said, all the years that were stripped away from my people, my church. Church ain't where it started at on Pentecost. It don't take somebody super spiritual. See, church ain't where it was in the early church of the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost. We ain't there. We ain't there. The government ain't there. The leadership ain't there. The power ain't there. The anointing ain't there. So it's got to be restored. He said, i got to restore to you the years that the locust, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palm worm. And you know what God said? He said, that's my great army. He said, I sent it among you and I stripped my people down. He said, I stripped them down. God's people been stripped down. I remember when God started dealing with my wife, and she can tell you more. But she went through some trials, and the Lord told her, He said, I'm stripping you down to the foundation. She said, Your foundation's right. She said, A lot of stuff you've learned. She said, It's wrong. She said, I'm stripping you down to the foundation that builds you back right. We get a lot of things in our spirit and our walk with God that ain't right. That God's got to. He got to purge us. He got to purge us. You know, the Bible said that silver's for the refining pot, but the gold is for the furnace. And the Lord said in Isaiah 48, 10, He said, I've chosen you in the furnace of affliction. I've tried you as by fire. So the gold is purged one way and silver's purged another. Did y'all know that? I didn't know that. Gold's purged one way, silver's purged another. 
But the Lord told me when he sent me up here, he gave me scripture in Jeremiah. He said, I will pull down, pluck up, and destroy. And once I do all that, he said, then I'll build back. I'll build back right. God's got to build us back right. But this is what the Lord told me. He told me, he says, as long as you're hungry for God. This may back when I first started seeking God. Because I grew up in church. I could tell you about everybody in the Bible, Brother Brian, at 19. When I come to the Lord, I could name, you name a character in the Bible, I could tell you their story. But as far as doctrine, I didn't know nothing. I knew two things. Jesus saved and Jesus healed. Because I've seen miracles all my life. I've seen Jesus save people and, and change them and deliver them all my life. But I didn't know nothing about doctrine. I couldn't, uh, if somebody said, you believe there's one God or three, I couldn't have told you nothing. What do you believe about water baptism? Did you get baptized in water? Had a man come up in my tent one time. He pulled up. And he said, I'll ask you a question. Didn't say hi, didn't say good day, drop dead, kiss my foot. Nothing. He said, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, how you baptize? I said, in water, how you baptize? <laughs> He's just looking for a fight. I ain't going to fight with people. Paul said, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Let us go on to maturity and completeness in Christ. People argue about this stuff all the time. I ain't arguing about it. I'll preach it, go on. You believe what you want to believe because I'm going to tell you something. God said, let every man be a liar, but let God be true. So whatever God's Word says, that's what's going to stand. I'm not going to fight with you over different things. I'm going to preach the Word. Because Paul said it right there, first chapter, uh, sixth chapter of Hebrews, right on down. He said, leave all this teaching of baptisms laying on the panel. Leave all this stuff. Quit all this fighting. Don't talk about these endless genealogies that breeds contention and strife. Don't do all that. Just preach Jesus. Just preach Jesus and Him crucified. Amen. I'm going to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I'm going to have created miracles like that man at that ear last night, like that woman with that rotator cuff last week. People get delivered off of drugs. I prayed for a little 14-year-old girl there at that meeting. And her, her daddy texted me, said ever since you prayed for her, she had broke a bone. And she was taking drugs for the pain in that bone. And I just started reaching for her. Just started directing my comments to her and just started reaching for her because the Lord gave me a heart for her, Brother Byer. I saw her by the sphere of 14. No direction. No compass in her life. Didn't know what to do. Just She just like millions of other teenagers out here. Don't know what to do with their life. Have no direction, no leadership. Ain't nothing spiritual, natural. Ain't nothing in their life leading them anywhere. They just kind of floating. And I just started reaching for her. And so I prayed for her. For that pain in them legs. But I prayed a whole lot more in my spirit. But he, he said... He said, I got a testimony. I said, What? He said, My daughter's spirit is gone way, way, way down. So that anxiety ain't there no more. We need some ministers. We need some ministers. I'll relate one more story to you. Y'all may have heard me tell it, then I'm going to close. I appreciate the Lord moving the way he moved today. But it wasn't too long after I got saved and come to the Lord. Like I said, I've been around church all my life. And somebody come up to me, you know, they were being smart. What kind of preacher are you? I said, I don't know. 
But I was, I was real young and old, probably hadn't been saved six months or a year if I'd been saved that long. What do you mean you don't know? I said, well, first thing, I said, and the Lord called me, and I surrendered my life to him. He said, I called you to be a minister of the gospel. He didn't say I was called to preach. He said, I called you to be a minister. He looked at me real snotty. He said, preach your minister. What's the difference? I said, I don't know. All I know is what God told me. I was standing there. A few minutes, the voice of the Lord spoke to me. He said, anybody can preach. Not everybody can minister. Anybody can preach. But not everybody can minister. I looked at him. I said, I'll tell you what the difference is. He said, what? I said, anybody can preach. But not everybody can minister. Oh, you talking about shutting the mouth. You talking about stopping somebody in their track. And they just turn their hair and washed out the ring. And I could hear. Rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> Made them mad because the Lord pulled them up short. You just remember anybody can preach. You can take the word, study it. You can get up and quote the word. You can preach the word. But do you have ability? Have you gained wisdom, knowledge, compassion, mercy, understanding that you can minister to somebody by the Spirit of God and by the gifts of the workings of the Spirit of God in your life? Do you have that? See, it took me years to get that. I ain't got no confidence in these people. Jump up and start preaching. Next thing you know, they're laying hands on people, calling them out, trying to tell them things. Uh-uh. It took me seven to eight years to get gifted. And I mean, I'm talking about doing a lot of fasting, praying, studying the Word, seeking God. Watching other ministers' lives, letting God teach me. It took me years to get gifted. I don't believe you get called to preach and you're gifted the next month. Because I know what it took me. I know what it took me. And I believe I'm as sincere with God as anybody ever has been. But it took me years. But I had to wait till God saw I was ready. And then he started developing the calling and the gifts in my life. Amen. You don't just jump up. And I had a good friend of mine. She's gone on to be with the Lord now, but she told me, she said, Brother Metter, you preach the Word. She said, but when you minister, you minister what you are. She said, that's why you got to be careful what you minister to people's lives. She said, if your life ain't right, you don't need to be ministered. She said, there's people out here, their lives ain't right. She said, because when they minister into people's lives, they minister to people's lives what they are. They minister confusion. They minister perversion, evil, uncleanness of whatever's in them. Said they'll minister that to people. That's the reason the Lord has standards for ministers. Amen. There ain't no standard being raised up now. Everybody out here is doing their own thing. Everybody out here like loose cannons. No, but God said government. God said government. Go back and read Isaiah. He put government in the church. He said of his government, there shall be no end. I don't care how old you are, how much you learn, how strong in the Lord you get. You still got to have government by the Spirit of God. You got to learn to govern. You got to learn to govern the gifts, the anointing. You got to learn when to speak and when to shut up. You got to learn when to go and when not to go. Paul tried to go into Asia. What did the Spirit of the Lord say? What did Paul say? The Spirit of the Lord forbid me. Wouldn't let me go into Asia. One time. There's a time for God to move. There's a time for you to sit down and hold your peace and be quiet and learn. Amen. Do you love the Lord? How many of you appreciate Him today? I'm going to tell you, I, I've had a good time today. We come in this morning. We still had the table set out from last week where I taught. And 
I said, I don't feel like teaching today. I feel like preaching. Preacher, preacher come church this morning. So I feel good about what God's done. Y'all feel good about what God's done? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and receive the offering, and I'm going to ask you to help us. If you want to do something toward Africa, you know, just let me know that that's what it's for, and I will set it aside. But I need you to honor God in your giving. Uh, most of y'all know we're going to set the church bucket over here on this side. If you got something you want to help me as a pastor or as a